Hello and welcome to Living the Present Moment with Dr. Joel Ying. This episode is recorded live Friday, August 8, 2018. On this series, I interview people of passion and purpose doing interesting things living the present moment. I'm your host today, Dr. Joel Yang. I'm a physician, educator, storyteller. You can find me online at livingthepresentmoment.com. Visit the blog, join the mailing list, newsletter, or courses. I'm excited about today's topic with my guest today, Sonia Greensmith, and the topic is heart transplant. Sonia has had many accomplishments in her life, but it began with heart problems that required a heart transplant, and we'll get to that long story in a while, but she has a great life story and a unique perspective on life. She's been a friend for many years, and her mom, uh, Melva, was one of my middle school teachers and took, who took me under her wing as a mentor and became like a second mother and a lifelong friend, and Melva taught me lots of things about resilience, courage, and strength, and Sonia has many of those qualities, and so I asked her on the show today. For those of you who don't know her, she's a petite black woman, big attitude, large heart, and she looks really good in a well-pressed uniform. <laughs> <laughs> and just from the way she carries herself, you can tell that she cares and that she'll fight for what she believes in. I, I don't know if this quality is wearing your heart on your sleeve, so to speak, and I guess I'm saying that she inspires people to trust her. And I, I, don't know what, I don't know if that was true about what other people thought of her in the sheriff's office, seeing her in the uniform, but I thought I'd start there because um, uh, I remember that as a memorable moment of when you decided to do that. What what was it like for you? Good afternoon, Joel. Thank you very much for allowing me to be on your podcast. Working <laughs> for the sheriff department was a very interesting job, a job that no one thought I could do. No one was really encouraging as far as me deciding to leave the school board of Broward County, wanting to follow in my mother's footsteps, not as a teacher, but something in the school board rim. After working for the school board for like a year or so, administering the GED tests, working at different schools, I realized school wasn't for me. So I decided to step out, and I saw this article in the newspaper talking about the Broward Sheriff's Office and all the things that went along with being a corrections officer. No mm-hmm. skills, no ability. I just said, you know what? I was always told, if you want something bad enough, you go out and you get it. So I decided to get an application and see what tomorrow would bring. But I had enough sense to do it during the summer. Just in case it didn't work out, I could always go back to the school board. So I just ran and ran and exercised. I did everything in my power to get me ready. But what I forgot, never forgotten, but I just put it in the back of my mind, you have a heart condition. No one is going to give you a pass. There isn't a physician around that's going to give you a pass that's going to pass you to say, okay, you're fit enough to apply and go through the academy to do all that rigorous studying and running and exercising and fighting. No way. But no, no was never an answer for me. <laughs> so I searched around and I searched around and I found this cardiologist in Hallandale. And I told him I didn't want to, no, you can't examine me. Just sign this paper so I can go. Because I need this paper signed to do what I need to do. He said, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can. He's like, no, I can't. I said, yes, you can and you will. Never met this man before, never even seen him before. Just took his name out of the yellow pages. Going back and forth, I told him what I could do. He said, well, let me examine you. And after your exam, we'll discuss it. I said, no, after my exam, you're going to tell me no. Because I knew I knew what they said was my limitations. Hmm. But as far as I was concerned, I had no limitations. So to make a long story short in that aspect, I did everything he told me to do, and like I said, he told me no. <laughs> he told me flat out no. So I had to talk fast. I said, i tell you what, you give me a physical exam. Whatever you tell me to do, if I can do it, would you sign it? He thought I was joking because what a thing looked like is not always what it is. 
My heart was as, was as bad as those tests said. I knew that. But because of who I am and how I was raised to believe in the unknown, to believe in a higher power, to believe in myself and to carry myself and believe I can do all things through Christ who dwells in me. So I didn't believe what they were telling me. I believed the report that I had received all my years that God was with you. Anything you want, you knock on this door, and he will give you the wishes of your heart. And I believe that until this day, everything I've ever asked for, it was given to me by God himself. So I mm-hmm. passed every test. He looked at me like I always said, the paper says something else, but I'm looking at you. And you did things that you shouldn't be able to do. You should be in a wheelchair. You should be with an oxygen mask. Someone should have had to drive you here. You shouldn't have drove yourself here. Of course, I, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted him to sign that paper so I could go before he changed his mind. Mm. But he signed the paper, but I had to make a promise. The promise was, if I sign this paper for you, I will have to be your cardiologist to the day. You come and see me once every six months, and if everything still works out, I'll be at your graduation. I said, okay. Thirty years later, he's still my cardiologist. I did graduate, and I became a corrections officer. Mm. So, so God is good. You have to believe and have faith. And someone always told me, don't believe the doctor's reports. Believe the Lord's report. Hmm. Oh, that's great faith and a great story. As you went after that, what are some memorable moments? Memorable moments and everything my grandparents told me. Respect others and they'll respect you. Even though I wore the uniform, the uniform was just clothing. It wasn't me. I treated those with respect be it that they were incarcerated, it did not matter. I was not judge, jury, or executioner. I wasn't there to be angry about why they came to jail. My job was to keep them safe until they went to court. So in the midst of them being arrested and going to court, my job was to tell them to make sure you can be better than what people say you are. You can be better than what you have made yourself. Treating people with respect gives them a different attitude in life. Until this mm-hmm. day, I run into those ex-prisoners that I've seen in jail, and I don't fear them because they respect me. They remembered me more so than I remembered them. And when they see me to this day, when someone says, Sergeant Greensmith, I know they know me from the institution. Mm-hmm. And they come and they say, thank you for respecting me as a human being and not as a prisoner. I remember the words you used to always tell me, if you know better, you do better. (laughs) You know better, you do better. And I got that from someone that told me that, and I think she also told you that. And the person I'm speaking of is my mother, Melva Chenault, Joe's teacher, mentor, second mother, Joel is more of a brother to me than anything else. He was at my house, he ate in our house, and he ate in our house, and he ate in our house. (laughs) He slept at our house, and I don't even know if I should say this, my sister had a mad crush on Dr. Ying, but yet there had to be maybe a 20-something year difference between them, but it didn't matter. We called her a cougar, and he was a young, tender morsel at the time. But till this day, she still flirts with Dr. Ying, and I still think she has the right words to say to make him blush. Oh. Am I correct, Dr. Ying? It's true. I'm blushing now. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> but, but, you know, even in all the things I went through in life, and I knew from day one, when I was able to realize who I was. The story goes back way before the sheriff's department. The story goes back to the day I was born. Mm -hmm. The day I was born, I was born with a heart condition. I was born 
three months early. I wanted to see what was out there. <laughs> so here I am out here before my time, sick, and back in the 60s, they weren't really doing heart transplants and anything of that nature. They'll give you a couple pills, send you home, and okay, in two or three months, either you survive or you pass away. But they didn't know who I was, where I came from, who I was through the prayers of my great-grandmother, through the prayers of my grandmother, through the prayers of my mother, I'm able to talk to you now. Mm. I heard the stories as I grew up about this sick child. Oh, she couldn't do this. She She didn't come home until she was two years old. When she did come home, she was only home for a couple of days, had to be rushed right back to Miami because she was so sick. It was a great story. I said, love to hear it. But as I got older, I was the little girl in the story. They were talking about me. And what little girl doesn't want anybody, always wanted to be the center of attention. So I used to love to hear those stories. (laughs) Until I got older, and my sisters, and my my sister, and my brother, and my cousins, they're out there playing outside. And I'm like the puppy in the window. I'm looking, wanting to go outside, but nobody opened the sliding glass door. To let me out because that little sick girl has grown to be a young lady or a teenager, but nobody would let her go out and play. Even though they told me I was fine, they still treated me sometimes as if I had a heart condition. Until my grandfather said one day, my mother's name was Melva, Melva, let that child go out there and play. If she's going to pass away at a young age, allow her to pass away doing what she does best. What kids do best, they play. That door opened. I stepped off that porch, and I haven't stopped running since. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the best day ever. I played footballs with the boys. I did basketball with the boys. I ate mud pies with my sister. We climbed trees. You name it, I did it. And as I got older, I continued with my boyish ways because it was fun. It was fun. Mm -hmm. I'm free. And as I got older, I ran track. I played volleyball. I played softball. You name it, I did it. But we forgot the beginning of this story. I have a heart condition, a serious heart condition. So to me, it was just a story. Nothing serious, just a story. Never took any medication, just a story that people told me. Until one day, that corrections officer is trying to move around in all that equipment with the gun belt and the vest and the boots looking like Hey, an officer, but I couldn't breathe. Things got mm. things were looking a little cloudy. I'm like, okay, maybe I got heartburn. You know, something's not right. But I remember the doctor said you can come back and see me every six months. So I made an appointment. It was time to come for my checkup. But this appointment was different than all the rest. I need to see you in the office for a second. So when you get dressed, see me in the office. I'll meet you in the office soon. We weren't laughing and joking. I wasn't telling stories about what happened in the jail today, what person got arrested, what superstar came through. None of that. He was more serious this time. And he started to think, Sonia, remember when I told you one day? I'm like, I remember. He said, what did I tell you? You told me one day I may need a heart transplant. I said, I remember, that was about 25 years ago. He said, your one day has come. Hmm. I'm like, okay. I heard him, but I didn't hear him. I said, okay. And me being who I am, I said, what do we have to do? He's like, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Once you tell me something, it you don't knock me off my feet like a, I don't need a, I don't need a ten count. You hit me, but you didn't hit me hard enough to knock me out. You just stunned me just a little bit. 
Off the ropes I came, ready for the referee to say, okay, round three. Because now mm-hmm. I'm ready for whatever fight is going to come my way. I'm not saying I don't, I'm not afraid of things. It's just that my fear is nothing compared to my faith. My faith stumps out fear. Without fear, there's no hope. Without hope, you have nothing. So from the time he told me, I had to back up, get out of Sonia mode, and reach up and grab something that I've been carrying that's been with me my entire life, that people have told me my entire life. Jesus is the answer to all your questions. He can handle all your problems. He doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. So I'm like, okay, if he doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber, somebody has to sleep, it might as well be me. So I cast all my cares, I cast all my cares on him. Let him worry about it. That's his responsibility. He made me, he molded me, he shaped me, he gave me that heart. What is he going to do now? I've done everything that they told me to do, do right by others, treat people the way you want to be treated. You go to church on Sunday, you go to Bible study on Thursday, you read your Bible, you carry yourself in a manner that the Lord will be proud. So I did my little checklist. I'm good. Let's do this. I went home and I told my mom. She looked at me and we told the family. And we started the process. The process was hard and rigorous, but it wasn't just me who needed a heart transplant. My family also had a heart transplant because dealing Mm. with someone like that, you need a wonderful support system. You need someone that's going to wipe your tears when you cry, uplift you when the doctors come in and tell you that things aren't going the way they should. When you're unconscious, you need people to be there to make sure that they do the right things. So a heart transplant is not as easy as everybody may think it is. Because those doctors come in and they little white coats. So don't take it personal, Dr. Ying. They come in here and they tell you, oh, you just need to do this. You're going to do this. You'll be okay in six weeks. You'll go home. You'll recover. Everything will be okay. It sounds good. But that's just textbook. Mm. Everything don't work. Everything is not always as picture perfect as they say. But what they said may not have been perfect, but my support team was perfect. My support team was wonderful. My appoint my team was heaven sent. And I don't want to scare anybody. But the one thing about me, I always tell the truth. There's good and bad in everything. While I began to wait on the heart transplant, my body started to deteriorate. They gave me all these different medications that make me feel better, but the medication made me feel worse. So I get up one day, I'm not feeling my best, and the doctor says, come on down, Sonia, we're going to change your medication, you'll stay overnight. Hopefully this medication will make you feel better, and it will just continue to wait for the call regarding your heart transplant. Those who know me, I have a hospital backpack all the time. Just grab my trusty little bag, we're going to go overnight. Because, of course, I don't sleep in those hospital pajamas. It's not very ladylike. So I have, all my, I have my pajamas in my, as me and my sister call it, my grease up, which is lotion, to make sure I look presentable, forgetting I'm sick. I think I'm going to some fashion, whatever. But that 24-hour stay ended up being a nine-month stay. Hmm. I didn't go home in 24 hours. I didn't go home in 24 days. Nine months I stayed at Jackson. Looking up at that ugly white towel. But in the midst of those nine months, I learned a lot. Surgeries that I didn't even know about I had to have. That's when it falls back on that support team. They had to speak for me because I couldn't speak for myself. 
anything that could have went, gone wrong went wrong. But that's okay. We still survived because we believed in a higher power. My sister and I, I'll never forget, getting to the actual transplant itself, my sister and I were laying in there, and she was great. Her and my husband, 24-7, they did shift work. Never a day in those nine months I ever stayed in that hospital alone. Mm. Not one day. Not one day. My mother, my mother passed away, but she always said, and she was always with me in every surgery, every hospital visit, everything. But she passed away. So what am I supposed to do now? Where am I supposed to go? Who do I call on? Not knowing she prepared my sister to be in her stead. She prepared my sister to take her place, to be my support system, to be there for me. Didn't think she could do it, but she did. Forever grateful. I could never repay her. I can't find the words to say thank you. I can't cry enough for the tears to show her how much I appreciate it her. She was there for my husband when things got dark. When his knees buckled, she propped him up. When she got weak, he propped her up. And we were in the room one night, and I remember her saying, Sonia, okay, truth be told, she called me kiddo. That's the nickname she called me. She said, (laughs) kiddo, I'm tired. I'm tired of being in this hospital. We've been praying for you, and everybody around the world has been praying for you. What's taking so long? I'm going to talk to the Lord. He's going to have to straighten me. He's going to tell me, why is it taking so long for you to get this heart? Why is everything going wrong? Anybody else? Maybe. But you, I know he should hear you. You with me? You with me? No, you're on your own, big sis. I don't have enough to stand and fight with the Lord. I'm going to sit back and wait. I'm not going to be anxious for anything. I'm going to wait my turn. Well, you can wait. I'm going to talk to him. He owes me an explanation. I said, okay, you're on your own. But even though she was speaking like that, the words came from her heart, Dr. Ying. She was jokeful, but she meant that. God hears you when you're humble, when you need an answer. She was really tired. She didn't understand everything we had been taught since we were children. Why isn't he showing up now when she needs you the most? Honestly, that night, maybe a couple hours After she said that, the nurse came in, and she said they had a heart just for me. And I looked over her, and I said, God does answer a sinner's prayer. Being joyful, because my sister always did all kind of crazy stuff. And I said, oh, my God, God does answer a sinner's prayer. And we laughed, and we laughed, and we cried, and we cried. It's about 2-something in the morning. She wants to call everybody. I'm like, if you call somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning, they're going to think I died. Let's let's just wait. Let's just wait until, give it more time. Give it some more time until everybody's up. Anybody that gets a phone call at 1, 2 in the morning, is always bad news, especially with me being here for so long. Don't call anybody. But then she gets up at 2 in the morning, and she's packing my stuff. I'm like, where are you going? Oh, girl, we got to leave this room. Somebody else going to have this room. So she starts to pack everything up in the room because we're moving. We're going to a new location. And, Joel, even when they said no, 
even when they told my family, I think we had a call on a Wednesday. They told my family, not in my presence, that if we don't have a heart by this Friday, we're going to transfer her to hospice because there's nothing else we can do for her. Forty-eight hours, 48 hours before they had wrote me off. They had written me off. And that's when it goes back. When God shows up, he shows out. When he shows up, it's right on time. He had to know without a shadow of a doubt that I believed in him, that I wasn't going to curse him, that I wasn't going to give up. And even when, they, when I finally found out what they said, I was still okay with that too. Because his will was going to be done regardless of what I had to say. I got that new heart. 25-year-old young man passed away. His heart was given to me. I never said, why me? My question was, why not me? What makes me different than anybody else? Then I thank God it was me because I didn't want my sister to have to go through what I went through. I didn't want my brother to have to go through what I went through. So if anybody had to go through anything like that, I thank you for choosing me. He chose me. It was an honor and a privilege to be chosen. And now I tell people about the goodness and the mercy. There are some who don't believe in Christ. Some believe in science. Some believe in the Big Bang Theory. Some believe in who knows. But there will come a time when everybody will fall and call on the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to preach. I'm just testifying because without a test, there is no testimony. Mm-hmm. So because I was so blessed to have to go through something like this, it would be robbery if I didn't reach out and tell people and show people what God did for me. It's been almost four years since I received that heart transplant. So now I'm an ambassador for the organ donor program. I go out and I talk to people about heart transplantation to let them see this is what a heart did for me. Teach them and educate them about organ donations. Someone did it for me. So now I have to do it for someone else. I've asked my family And now I'm asking the people that hear my voice, if you're not a donor, reconsider. Because just like God chose me, he may choose somebody that you know. And if you want someone to do something for you, you're going to have to do something for someone else. So reconsider organ donation. You have live donors. You have donors that have been deceased. There are so many things you can do. One human being can save eight lives. Research organ donations and be a blessing to someone like someone was a blessing to me. Hmm. That's a beautiful story, Sonia. Thank you for sharing it. That's all I can do. You know, I have a wonderful sense of humor. And earlier (laughs) you said when I was in my uniform, I was tall, and I looked real. Oh, thank you for that. I forgot to Thank you for that, Joel. Oh, it was true. <laughs> it was true. <laughs> <laughs> but life, life before and after transplant is wonderful. You may have the scars from all the surgeries, and you people may think you're not as sexy as you used to be, or you'll cover up and you will 
turtleneck shirts trying to cover up the scars. But again, the scars are a testimony. If I didn't have those scars, I wouldn't be able to talk to you today. So I thank him for the scars because they're, yeah, I can talk to people about them. What's that scar on your neck? Oh, I had trach. What's that scar? Oh, I had a heart transplant. Mm. What does a heart transplant patient look like? Mm. What, are, what, are they, what do they look like? Or someone says, oh, you're too young for a heart problem. What's too young? What's too young? I was born with it. How young can you get? No such thing as you're too young for any type of medical condition. It's just mm. an age, just a number. People are born every day with conditions. What do you do with your bad news? It's either going to make you or it's going to break you. Are you a survivor? I'm a survivor. I played the cards that were dealt to me. I didn't fold them. I played it all the way out. I bluffed my way through some things, but I won the, I won the game because I knew the dealer. <laughs> I knew the dealer. You remind then, me of one of the first people I met who had a heart, tra- heart transplant when I was a medical student because you mm-hmm. asked, what do they look like? And I remember I was on a clinical rotation. I was a medical student, so I hadn't seen many people, many patients. But I'd read about heart transplants. I read about hearts. And I was at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. And this young woman comes in, probably about your age when you got your heart transplant. But she had an unrelated injury. It was like a car car thing, you know, car wreck or something. And and I'm taking her history, and she says she had a heart transplant. I look up, and it's this young, beautiful woman. She's confident. And I'm like, what? I realized that I had this idea that heart transplant, that's serious. I, hadn't, I, I had realized that I only read about this thing, and I didn't really know what the, what, what the story behind it would be for a person who had been through it. And so that's what I appreciate about your story. I think... Um, we can't always, as doctors, know all the stories, but as we go through our practice, we start to collect stories of what real lives and what real people are behind all that. I, I think that's part of what medicine's missing, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the call, is to talk about that human side, that there's a story behind every disease and problem, and it's not all science, and it's not a... Uh, I think that the pharmaceutical industry and doctors and even patients and everybody, we've all convinced ourselves that, okay, you have a heart problem, you you, uh, need a heart, that's what you do, it's all straightforward, but there's a story and people and support behind that and families and love and loss and all kinds of things. So thank you for sharing the story behind it. Yes, and I'm not putting doctors down, but sometimes they see so many people, they get numb. They forget mm. that they're human and they're just not a machine. And they, they talk to you and they walk out. But they forget you have questions. They tell you something and they walk out. And I remember I was very sick one time, and they kept telling me, well, we're going to do a procedure on you. Uh, we're going to tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow didn't come for like a week. Well, and they kept saying, oh, people, we got people here, you know, that, that they're sicker than you. And people, they kept saying, people, people, people. And he got ready to walk. I said, hold on. Don't walk out on me. I said, I want you to turn around and look at me. And as the tears rolled down, all I could say to him, I'm somebody too. I'm mm. a people. I'm somebody too. Have you forgotten that I'm somebody too? He looked at me and he stopped. Within an hour, I was downstairs. You have to remind people. Sometimes we forget. 
not just doctors. We forget. We take it for granted. We hear you, but we keep going. You, we can't just hear people. We have to listen to them. Take an extra moment to listen to what someone's telling you. Everything is not textbook. Everything is not going to go according. My story may be different than someone else's story. My pain may be different than somebody else's pain. Just take time out to listen to what someone's saying to you. People died while I was there, waiting for a heart. Death is around you when you wait. Scary things go on in hospitals at night when you're all alone. You have to be able to believe in something other than the things you see with your eyes. Nurses, wonderful nurses. I had the best nursing staff ever. I take my hat off to nurses. I couldn't be a nurse. I don't have what it takes to be a nurse. Special people are nurses. It, that, if a nurse is listening, I tell you, thank you. You may mm. have not worked with me, but I say thank you. Because the nurses were there. The hospital is built up of so many different people. It takes a team. It takes a village. There's no I in team. It takes a team to win. We had a team. I still have a team. Just because you have a heart transplant don't mean you're healed. I forgot to tell you, they give you a bag full of medication when you leave. <laughs> not, let's, let's, not a bag, let's say a suitcase. <laughs> you take medication, you go from one thing to another. You get a brand new heart, but you get a bag of medication. Then what do you do? You still have to believe. And, Joel, you see me at my best. You see me at my worst. You know my story. You know me. I thank you for allowing me to continue to be that special someone because you're always and you will always be my special someone. You'll always be my Dr. Ying. <laughs> Before you were Dr. Ying, you were my Joel. But respect to you, respect is given. You're no longer my Joel. You're Dr. Ying. I respect you and your position. And thank you for being a doctor because you do listen. You do love. You nurture. You comfort. You comfort me when my mom was on her deathbed. Not only was she your friend, your mentor, your teacher, you became her doctor. That's hard. And if I never told you thank you, I tell you again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Mm. My family thanks you. I can never repay you for the love that you've shown me and my family. So I speak to you as a sister, as a friend, as your patient. Thank you for being all that to me. And may the blessings that I've received be blessings to you also. Thank you, and thank you for the blessings I've already received. Just, uh, It wasn't just your mom that adopted me into her family. It was the whole family, so thank you. You're welcome. All the support I got from you as well. You're welcome. And I appreciate also the reality of what you just said about a heart transplant. I, I know one of my teachers, uh, uh, attending doctors, uh, when I was in training, said a transplant is like training one chronic disease for another. 
and you're just trading up. And it's like you said, it's it's you're you still have your check-ins, your checkups, and your medications, and yes, uh, preventing rejection and those kind of things. And yes, I've, I've I've been through that already. Usually, usually with the, within the first two years, you have a little bout or, as they say, some sort of rejection. But I didn't have it until almost my third year. Oh. And, again, and, you know, my third year going, just before my third year, um, I started feeling a little sluggish. And I went down and the doctors are running in and they're telling me that I'm in rejection failure, you know. They're, I mean, they're running around, running around, and I'm looking like, what's going on? Because I knew what they were saying, but I never have... The symptoms, I never have what they say I should have. They just tell me certain things. I said, okay, now what? And they give me all this medication, and they're, they're like, do you feel bad? I'm like, no, just a little winded, but I don't feel bad. So you never know, you know, the things. And um, it'll be, November will be four years. And we always laugh and joke and around Christmas time. Because for four years straight, I ended up in the hospital. <laughs> I spent four, four of my Christmases at Jackson. And I'm like, okay, come December, I don't mm. want to be at Jackson. I don't want to be at Jackson. But, you know, it, things happen, you know. <laughs> Little things happen. Like you can't, they don't tell you when you get a transplant after afterwards. Okay, you can't be around birds. Um, can't be around little children. You can't be around the elderly. You have to wear a mask everywhere you go just, just in case you get an infection. Mm. Okay, so what if I had kids? What am I going to do with them? Put them in, put them in a shed? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? You know, if you have a dog, you've got to make sure. These are all the things they don't tell you when you get ready for a transplant. You get this afterwards. Mm. But that's all, it's all good, too, you know. So you have to be careful who you spend time with. You have to be careful that... Some of the medications may give you side effects. You wake up in the morning and your your toes are bothering you. Oh, we forgot to tell you some of the medication may give you neuropathy and your body thinks you have diabetes, but you don't have diabetes. It's just the medication making your body think you have diabetes. So those are all the little things that come with this new life called being a transplant patient. But that comes with it. Everything comes together. It's not a good thing, but it's not a bad thing either because you have extended life. Mm. You have extended life. So every day is a challenge when I wake up. Some days are good and some days are bad. But that's okay. I still press my way. I <laughs> get up every morning and I take all my medications that I'm supposed to take because you don't want a form of rejection. Mm. I would tell anybody, if you need a heart transplant, and if it's, you do do what you have to do, but have faith. Because there is a blessing after a transplant. Life is still good. You have a few things extra you have to do, but life is good. Life has given you a second chance. You've been blessed. Take that blessing and be a blessing to someone else. Hmm. But I also, I'm also honest with people. It's not as cut and dry as they make it to believe. It has good points. It has bad points. There are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. How do you handle the challenges that come your way? How do you handle your challenges? That's the question. Miami Jackson has this saying, miracles made daily. Miracles made daily. As we speak, that's what Jackson's, Jackson is known for that. Miracles made daily. Every day you wake up, you've been blessed. It's a miracle that you see life. We see many Wednesdays before, but we've never saw this Wednesday. (laughs) And I'm thankful for this Wednesday. Prayerfully, I'm looking forward to a Thursday I've never seen before. (laughs) <laughs> life is good oh I forgot oh, to tell you Joel I, I've gained a few pounds too <laughs> thanks for medication <laughs> oh. 
gained a few pounds thanks to medication. <laughs> but, you know, like I say, it's, you have to be joyful in everything that happens in your life. Because if you're sad, you can find yourself in a dark hole and you can never find your way out of it. Look for the good in everything. Even when it's not good, find something good about it. And take that little piece of good and let that be your day. Because tomorrow is not promised. It's a beautiful story of survival, and I appreciate the strength and hope and the faith that you share. And I, I am so happy that you're sharing your story and that you continue to share your story to prospective organ donors. And it sounds like anyone who will listen to give them hope, too. That's quite beautiful. And I like Thank that you, you, um, you know, you've had events in your life that are traumatic and people talk about, oh, I have PTSD, but you say, no, these are challenges. And, and these are things I go through and things I work through. And um, I like this new terminology I was reading about. They're calling post-traumatic resilience. And I think it helps people focus on their challenges as things to grow through. Yes. Post-traumatic growth. Yes. Post-traumatic growth, let's call it. That, that, um, I tell people, always- don't, don't, add, don't fill out, uh, people send out cards, you know, RSVP, we're having a party, RSVP, we're having a wedding shower, we're having this. Don't respond to a pity party. Don't RSVP to a pity party. <laughs> Let them stay at that party all by themselves because you may have been given a challenge. Again, resilience. You press your way. Don't wallow in self-pity because no one's going to attend your party. It's a dark cloud over your party. Who wants to go to a dark cloud at party? People go to parties to have fun. <laughs> so don't make your situation your death sentence. Be resilient. If you got PTSD, find something good about it. Make it your testimony. Mm. Get about that. Get up out that bed. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You're not the only one. The man down the street at the Walmart, he has it also, but he's working. The guy over here, he has a prosthesis, but he's working. The lady over there, she had a heart transplant, but she's working. I'm still here because I didn't give up. Make your story. Make your test a testimony. Keep it moving. Don't result to drinking. Don't start using drugs. Don't, those are, those are cop-outs. Because when the bottle's empty, the pain's still there. When the pills are gone, the pain's still there. So your answer is not in the booze. Your pain is not in those drugs you just took because when they're all gone, you're still in pain. What is your crutch? What's your crutch? Take away your crutch and see if you can stand. You can stand one step at a time, one stumble. One step, one day, one challenge. Mm-hmm. Equals what? what? Survival. Yeah. I love what you said. What a thing looks like is not always what it is. What a thing can, looks like is not always what it is. You can people be look more. at me. You can people look at me and they will never believe everything I went through because I don't show it. I still hold my my grandmother always say, "You hold your head up high and you strut your stuff anyway, even when you're down and out. You hold your head up high." You may be having a bad day, but you still hold your head up high. You don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. You don't air your dirty laundry in public. You represent. And that's what I do. When I step outside my door, my head is always held high. I look picture perfect because I am. Because I am perfect by the blood that was shared for me. The ultimate sacrifice was made on my behalf. 
So why am, why am I having a pity party? Why am I resorting to alcohol and pills? No. Sacrifice has already been made. Let me take advantage of those who did it before me. Learning experience. And finding the support you need. I mean, you talked about that great support that you had. And I yeah, think find, if we all dig deep enough, we have, we have support. Find your someone. Mm-hmm. Find your someone. And someone is not anybody. Find your someone that's not going to tell you what you want to hear. Find your someone that's going to be honest with you. Find your someone that's going to tell you, if you lie to yourself long enough, you're going to start believing your own lies. <laughs> if you lie to yourself long enough, your lies become the truth. Half truth is a whole lie. Find your someone. Hmm. Find your someone. That's Tonya, someone as you, gonna, mm-hmm, go ahead. As you, as you look at this whole story of your life so far, and this uh, transplant, and there's so many words of wisdom that you shared with us, and that I don't know if you can distill it down to you know that one thing that that you would say, I want to pass this on. From my whole experience, I want to make sure that this is not forgotten. Today at this moment, what would that be? Faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Thank you. Those are the three things. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Well, I think we could talk for hours, and I'm so glad that you agreed to be on the show today, just sharing your story, sharing your hope, sharing your faith, hope, and love. And so I want to thank you again, Sonia, Sonia Greensmith, for everyone out there. And I want to thank everyone out there for joining me. People of passion and purpose, doing interesting things, Living the Present Moment. Stay tuned for more at livingthepresentmoment.com. Thanks again, Sonia. Thank you, Joe.